falling off me there. What you get when you wrestle a kid for first part of service and then try to get up all prepared. My shirt's probably untucked. Who knows? It's good to see all of y'all. Um, y'all didn't die in the winter storm. That's good. That, is that two in a row that they've told us is going to destroy our lives and then hasn't done anything? Nope. Nope? Okay. <laughs> Maybe three. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, man, I'm thrown off my game. There's a weird thing that Christians wrestle with. Is, uh, there are really two sides of um, the road that we wrestle. We, we try to get on one side or the other. And typically when you're on an extreme side of the road, you're in a ditch. And I'd prefer not to be in a ditch. But typically we go to the, the far left and we'll say, um, we like, to, we like to, uh, to throw out the idea that Jesus has saved us by grace and through, and through no works of our own. And that's true. But then you got the other side, the, the people over here who will say, well, it, it, that's true, but you've really got to be good. I grew up over here. I grew up in a place, and maybe you did too, where, where you, how you act was so important that you couldn't even give off the impression of acting poorly. You couldn't even, like, if, if, you had to, if you had to pull over on the side of the road on the way to Idabel to, because you got sick, you drove past the bars at the state line, so you didn't want any of your car to be seen at the place. People would say, well, they might just suspect something of you. You, you didn't even want to give the appearance that you were doing something wrong. So it kind of trained us to never give off the appearance that where there's anything wrong with us ever. We, we, we became very good at faking Christianity. I grew up in this place. I grew up in a place where you're like, I, I got to get it right, got to get it right, got to do the right things and can't even be perceived to be doing the wrong things. Don't date the wrong girl. Don't date, still, don't, do, don't date the wrong girl. Yeah, but don't date the wrong boy. Just don't, don't do, the, do, you can't do, you can't do, you can't do, you don't do and that's how you do it. And the other side was saying, but it's not really about that. Like, you're saved by what Jesus did, and you are not, you're not, you're not saved by your own works. Your, your brokenness is just brokenness. You can't earn salvation. And I would say, yeah, but what about all those things in the Bible about how I have to be good? What about all the times where it says, where it says, love your neighbor? And what about all those times it says, forgive those who persecute you? And what about all those times where it says, it says, don't worry? Or what about the time when it says, do not fear? Or what about the time, what about all the times where it says, don't do something? What is all that about? So it seems like we've always been in this battle between uh, grace and morality. About how, how does, how does grace work with works? As they're often talked about. How does grace impact us? See, in, in the town of Thyatira, that's how you pronounce it. Everyone say it with me. Thyatira. 
That's a C-minus effort, and that's fine. <coughs> Thyatira. You go to Thyatira. Thyatira is actually the least important of all the cities of the seven, the seven that we're going to be looking at. It wasn't all that important. There was a temple to Apollos there, but it was basically a typical city. It did have a court system. That's why it was written, but or that's why they wrote to it. It did have a court system, so if you were tried as a Christian, you could be tried that day. But in the city of Thyatira, uh, it was just like any other city. They predominantly worshipped the god that, that was the god of their town. For them, it was Apollos. But also, they worshipped Caesar. And they worshipped the emperor more, more consistently. Actually, in Thyatira, if you, wanted to be, if you wanted to buy or sell your goods, you had to be in what they called a guild. G-U-I-L-D. Guild. You had to be in what is called a guild, and if you were in the guild, you could buy and sell your. You could do your trade. Um, so if you were a stonemason or a or a farmer or you were a shepherd and you sold wool, you had to be a part of the workers' guild. And if you were a part of the workers' guild, you had to go to the workers' guild meetings, which were just a mess. If you went to the Workers Guild meeting, you went and you talked about your, your trade, but then you would uh, have a, a moment where you, um, you worshipped the emperor for giving you all the benefits that you have, giving you to supplying you with the money. Um, because Rome could just take all your money if they wanted to, but they didn't. And so they said, Caesar's been good to us. Caesar has allowed us to prosper. We worship Caesar. And the problem is, is that all these, these meetings eventually turned and just... I'm going to use a very church word here. This doesn't come up in anything but sermons, but debauchery. It just is. It's, it's the only safe word. I can say debauchery and not have anyone go, oh, that makes my children uncomfortable. That's what happened. It, it, would, it would just be a free-for-all. Let's just say if you walked in to the last three quarter, last quarter of a guild meeting, you would be a little uncomfortable. Let me rephrase that. You'd be really uncomfortable. That would be a story to tell to your spouse, and that's it. And so there was this meeting. These meetings would be very. Um, there would be they'd be sexual. They'd be they would indulge. They'd get really really drunk, really drunk and really uh, in, in, and fall into all sorts of practices with the other guild members, and it was just really bad. Now, one of the problems that the Christians had at the time was if you aren't in a guild, you don't get to buy and sell goods. But if you are in a guild, you have to worship Caesar. And we've run into this problem over and over again throughout these letters to these churches. What do you do? Do you, do you bend the rules and just do what you got to do? Go along to get along? Or do you give up on the guild and probably end up in poverty, but in poverty in Jesus? Jesus took a firm stand on which one, and you would probably obviously guess which one. Uh, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. 
to the angel of the church in Thyatira. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. You've improved. You, you church, you, you have love, you have faith, you have service, you have perseverance, and it's getting better. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Her, probably, her name probably wasn't Jezebel, but this is a reference to an Old Testament character who led God's people away from God to other people, uh, to other gods. So back there was the, the Baals and the Asherah, and they, they worshipped those gods instead of God. And here he's saying she's doing the same thing. Just by calling her Jezebel, we can imply that she, he's leading, she's leading um, the, the, the church, some people in the church, away from just worshiping Jesus to also worshiping Caesar. But you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, or just prophet would be, it's not really, there's not really prophetess in Greek, it's just prophet. Calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So, I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Ah, I don't like that passage. Because I, I have, I have um, we'll say, switched sides of the road in my lifetime. And I lean more on the grace of Christ and I, the grace. But then we've got this, I am searching your heart and mind and I will judge each according to your deeds. That, that seems like it clashes with the passages that tell us that we are not saved by our own works, but by the work of Jesus. Doesn't it? I get first glance, it seems like it clashes with that. So what do we do? We have grace on one side, we have works on the other, and God expects us to, to be saved by His grace, but also have, like, these works are going to count against us. See, it's all the question of, does your morality matter to God? Of course it does. I think the bigger question then is how, or maybe why, does your morality matter to God? He goes on, we'll finish this out and then we'll go to another passage here. He goes on and says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. God will not, Jesus doesn't impose any other burden, just 
Don't fall into her temptation. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this to me is that God actually cons- uh, has an, a tone of mercy here. Did you hear what he says about, uh, he says, I, I have given her time to repent and she won't. And her followers, I will come down hard on them unless they repent. God is always willing to let our change in our life, to let our change in our heart, to let our change in our patterns and our behaviors affect his view of us. He's always willing to let us, or to affect our circumstances is probably a better way to say that. He's always willing to let our repentance affect our circumstances. If we are heading down a sinful path, and that path is going to destroy us, it is only repentance that will bring us out of destruction. God, your morality matters to God. Your, your, how you behave, how you live, how you act matters to God. Now one of the difficult parts about this is we often see God caring about our morality as um, he just really loves the rules. I'm going to start coaching um, U6 soccer pretty soon because I'm just a really good U6 soccer coach. I can yell kick it a lot. That's all that's required. Just kick it, and they, they'll kick it, maybe. But it's a blast. There's some rules, and you kind of have to make sure they follow the rules. There's a, one of the, the thing that happens all the time, and you have to yell, come back, Forrest, is because the kid just starts kicking the ball and just running off into the woods. Just won't stop. Well, I've got it, you know, and they're out of bounds. and they're, There's rules. You got, once you go to bounds, you've got to come back in bounds. So it's not your turn to have the ball. It's their turn to have the ball. They don't, you don't get to kick the ball now. They get to kick the ball now. Now, the rules in soccer matter to me because my kids are playing. And that's it. I don't, if they weren't playing, I wouldn't go to the soccer fields, stand on the sidelines, and bark at the people about the rules. I wouldn't, it, the rules, the soccer rules matter because I've got children playing soccer. Your morality matters to God because you matter to God. It's not the rules that matter to God. It's you. God doesn't care about our morality because he loves rules. He cares about who we are and how we behave and how we act because he loves you. I want my children to act a certain way. Inside baseball here... um, I thought it would have been really funny right there to say, I want my wife, I mean children, to behave a certain way. But I just couldn't bring myself to make the joke without explaining it first. I thought it would have been funny. But I thought I might have got shot like mid-sentence and not got to finish the joke. So I left it out and then put it back in just here. But anyway, I want my children to behave a certain way. Not because behaving a certain way is important to me, like I've just had this ideal of how things, but because they matter to me so much. It's actually the people who let their kids do anything they want who don't love their kids all that well. 
It's loving your kids that provide structure for them. It's loving your kids that provide rules and, and behavior standards for them. That's, that's a good example of loving your kids. My dad always used to, we would go into, we would go into um, the grocery store. And there was always, there's always one lady in the grocery store with the kid, and she's just screaming at her kid. My dad would always lean down and say, if you scream at them at home, you don't have to scream at them at the grocery store. <laughs> I'd say, whatever, Dad, and knock things off a shelf. But there, the, the, the rules matter not because like we're somehow, somehow because of our abilities, we can earn our way to heaven. But he's saying, I have blessed you with salvation. I've blessed you with grace. I've blessed you with my presence. I've blessed you with the Holy Spirit. And what are you doing with it? That matters to God. Because his relationship with you matters to him. And so it's frustrating if he's devoted all his resources and all his efforts to bring you salvation and you say, nah, nah, I just keep doing what I'm doing. I just keep it up. Repentance for God is not just you turning away from bad behavior. It's turning toward God. Repentance is this, is this beautiful thing where you reunite with God, and it's not just about you getting it better, it's about you becoming closer to God. Many, many people have repented from one sin to another, have given up um, trying to control one thing and started trying to control another. People have gone, jumped from sin to sin, and while it may look differently, it's not true repentance. Repenting of sin is turning from sin and turning to God. And God wants you to do that not because he's so mad at you because you've gotten into a sin. He wants you to do that because he loves you and wants you to be with him. There's a, there's a verse in Ephesians chapter 2 that's one of my favorites and I probably use it way too much. But I'm not going to apologize for that. Verse 8, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourself it is the gift of God God has blessed you with the gift of salvation through faith through grace uh, by grace through faith not by works not because you earned it so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship the NRSV translated translates it really well it says um for we are what God has made us. We are what God has created us to be. We are his works of art. We are his, his, um, we are his craft, craftsmanship. God wants a relationship with you, and that relationship with you is salvation. But within that relationship with you, he will change you. He will work on you, and he won't stop. Your life is a life that is full of repentance. It will be full of repentance. You will constantly be turning away from one sin or the other to God. 
your morality, your ethics um, matter to God because you matter to God. I can't tell my, my daughters, well, if you don't start putting your plate in the dishwasher, I'll, find, I'll go find a kid who will. Like, that would be a ridiculous thing to say. But don't, you laugh, but sometimes that's our understanding of God. Is that putting, the proverbial putting our plate in the dishwasher is more important to him than the one who's doing it. God values you more than he values anything else. That's why your morality matters. That's, the way, that's why the way you live, the way you behave, the way you treat others, who you worship, matters. Sometimes we can come to people, I, I don't like using the word here, he says you tolerate that Jezebel. And we'll say, well, we're going to stop tolerating sin. All right, first stop tolerating your sin. And then you can move on to others. But a lot of it is us... We, we have a hard time um, speaking negatively about sin because we do have our own sin. The sin particularly he's thinking of here is one that was leading them as a teaching that was leading them to practice worship of something else. And I think we should call that out every chance we get. If you're worshiping yourself, if you're worshiping money, if you are worshiping your job, if you are worshiping if you're, whatever it is that you are loving more than you love God, I think we should be able to call that out. I think you should be able to call that out in me, and I think I should be able to call that out from you, to you. Not with a microphone. I won't do it with a microphone. But I think, I think we should be a loving family enough to say, we're, well, I think we're wrong in this. I remember uh, we were at a... a a friend's house. It was back when, right when I first started ministry. I looked really young back then. I mean, back then I looked really young. People, I would go on youth trips, take these kids on youth trips, and they'd be like, where's your chaperone? I'm the chaperone. Um, but they, they, I was over, we were over at some friend's house, and they were all um, several years older than we were, and they had kids, and they one of, one of the families wasn't there. We usually hung out with this group of family. One of the families wasn't there. And we spent maybe 30 minutes talking about the, negatively about the family that wasn't there. And we were walking toward the door to say bye. And I, I said, I feel gross. I just feel, felt awful. It felt awful to do that. And we should be able to speak up and say, the thing we just did as a group, or maybe the thing that we're doing, this isn't good. This isn't right. It's not leading us to Jesus. If it's leading us to think more of ourselves and less of Jesus, then let's run from it. Because God sent his son because he loves us. God saved us by grace through faith because he loves us. He is creating us in, in, into something that's beautiful because he loves us. And, his morality, and our morality matters to God because he loves us. It's out of love that he wants us to repent. It's out of love 
that he wants us to change. And you completely understand that. Because you have people in your life, kids in your life, that you realize, well, they're complete. They're, they're, I mean, there's a lot of newborns here. And eventually you want them potty trained, right? Is she? Yeah, she is? Okay. <laughs> she is potty trained. Um, but we, we, we eventually want, but we're not, we know it's going to be a process. Like right now, they're just not really capable. But they're eventually going to have to learn. And you, you know, they get to seven or eight, nine, ten, and they're not there. You think, okay, it's, this is getting ridiculous. You start, but you, won't, you wouldn't say that about a nine-month-old, would you? You'd be like, you're, this is ridiculous. You'd say that about a nine-year-old. Because if you've continued in the process of Christianity and just kept just failing, eventually God's going to be patient. But like he says of Je the, that woman Jezebel, I've given her time to repent and she hasn't. God gives us time to repent. I don't know if you know that. That's really good news. That, yeah. Tell them you don't want any. Doesn't Wendy know we're in church right now? Okay. Oh, man. I'm glad we're not videoing this. There's just going to be a clip of me taken out and dancing to music. From the, from the oh, we dodged a bullet on that one. But God gives me time to repent, right? We have, we, he has given us a freedom, a, a time in which we're supposed, we, we are going to repent. He's going to work on us. He's going to change us. The problem is, often, is we don't think we've got anything to repent of. And that's the biggest problem, I think. Our morality matters to God. We are immoral, broken people. And our morality matters to God because we matter to God. And I think if we can start, if we can wrap our head around the fact that God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die. And whoever believes in him will, will not find death, but they'll have life eternal. And that, that he saved us by grace through faith. I think that fact, I think that, that gift will create in us a morality that is un, untouchable. God will work in us if we let him work in us. But this trying to get better, well, I've got to be moral so that God will save me, that's working the equation the wrong way. God has saved us because he loves us. And our morality matters to God because we matter to God. See, maybe you've never felt like you matter to God. Maybe you feel like, well, I'm just, I'm just a broken person. I, 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 I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm, I'm awful. And he doesn't, you matter to him. You do. You matter to God. He loves you unconditionally. Your life needs to be a reflection of that love. Your life needs to be a reflection of that grace, of that mercy. 
And we are not moral because we will earn it. We are moral, we are ethical, we work to serve because Jesus earned it for us. If you need Jesus to earn it for you, today's the day. If you need to show your faith, you need to have faith in him that yes, he is the son, he is the Messiah, he is alive, he is resurrected. If you want to be united with him in baptism, you want to start that life of repentance. Today's the day. Don't let Satan lie to you. Don't let him tell you I'm wrong. I am wrong a lot about, about a lot of things. But how much you matter to God is not one of them. You matter to God. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent his son to die on a cross and be resurrected for you. Do you want to devote your life to someone who loves you like that? Do you want to give your life back to someone who loves you like that? Do you want to repent from one sin and turn to someone who loves you like that? Today's the day. Please come forward while we stand and sing.